Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 152. In today's episode, I'm going to kind of update on some current projects so everybody knows what's happening. And then we're going to talk about um, troubleshooting in dog training and, and just how to some ideas about approaching that. But before we get to that, one of the things I want to let everybody know is we had had a lot of interest, particularly on the Facebook page. That's where it was communicated quite a bit in turning the Training the Pointing Labrador book into an audio book. And that is now begun. So I don't know how long that takes. Um, I wouldn't think too long. You know, you record it and then you edit it and put it together and then upload it and all that stuff. So that thing is coming because the, the book itself is 483 pages. And, uh, you know, so that's going to be a, a fairly sizable audiobook. Uh, there won't be pictures, you know, what the training equipment look like or dogs on point or dogs in the water or something. But I think most people already kind of have that, that are reading this book. So I'm, I'm real excited to finally be offering that. I hope people find that useful. You know, now you can sit there and use it to go to sleep at night or when you're on a long drive. Um, so that's a, that's a real good thing. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm getting a lot of interest uh, for people who I refer to videos of things on here and people aren't sure where they are. So we got two things. One, I, I have a set of videos that's on teachable.com on force fetch and obedience and rule breaking and collar conditioning. So there are those things that, and you, you know, you can log on as many times as you want, but that's a, a, a purchase thing. And so that's some videos, just the how to's, uh, fairly lengthy with a lot of demonstrations. The videos that I mostly refer to here, uh, are the ones on the Facebook page, training retrievers and the ones that point. And you have to be, again, some people may be unaware of this. It's a, it's a private group, not for any reason other than when it was not a private group before with a different name. And, you know, there, we had videos on there of dogs doing all kinds of things. We'll break in and dogs in the bird pen and kennels and stuff. And, and were um, really attacked by some European folks who said that that was the most horrific, illegal, you know, cruel, awful thing in the world. And, I mean, an assault of where a sheriff showed up at our house here wanting to see if we were... And these people are overseas, and that's the links they went to. And they truly believe that, you know, there were some terrible things happening. So I understand. I'm glad that they are that willing to save animals. I'm not the monster that uh, they said. Um, but anyway, that's why that's a closed group. So people have to be invited in by someone else that's in the group. Um, so that we, you know, have only people that are interested in learning about training these dogs and seeing the puppy work and, and some of the other things. So... If you are not on Facebook, get on Facebook or use your partners or your kids' Facebook or something to go ahead and get on there. And then um, if you're friending me, tell me why. Um, I, you know, I'm a little skeptical now with because I had a lot of the Europeans friending me trying to get back on stuff for a while. So tell me why and what it is in just a little bit. Or any of the, there's a lot of people, a lot of the APLA people, are on there. A lot of the breeders are on there. It's not a, a Julie page. It's a page for our dogs and for people that are serious about sharing their experiences and learning some things. 
So if you get anybody that's on there, they can uh, invite you on there. But I caution everyone that is, please make sure whoever you're inviting on there is somebody that is going to benefit and contribute uh, to that page. Those are the videos. And I'm not the only one that puts videos on there. I, I try to put frequent ones to about G. Um, but <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff and in different viewpoints. And there's vets on there and there's breeders on there. And it's an awesome place. So. Just make sure you tell us why, and if you're asking me, um, just let me know what it what it is about. All right, so that's that. Audiobook, Facebook page. I got to spend the weekend uh, in Higginsville, Missouri, running an APLA test. It was a good test. We had good judges and good grounds, and everything was good. And again, I'd have to say, because uh, I've been doing this from the very beginning of the APLA, the early, early first dogs, and watching this now, you know, people coming from all over, I would say, and other people there said the same thing. Again, the quality of the animals themselves and the quality of the training and the quality of the handling of these dogs is amazingly, uh, it's good. It's just really good. So on the East Coast, it was really good. In the Midwest, it's really good. It tends to be okay out here in the West. I'm going to be up in the Northwest next month, you know, and so... If, it's, if they're awful, I'll be sure to tell you all. But I have a feeling that everywhere, that this has improved so much. And so uh, I'm not endorsing the American Pointing Lab Association. I've just been a part of it from the beginning. But one of their missions is to improve all of this and to bring it out and to, you know, showcase these animals and the people that own them. And I think looking at how it started and how it's uh, progressed through the years, they've been very successful. You know, everyone has a lot of gripes about all the stuff going on, but this is they wanted this to happen and it has happened and it's just a lot of fun to watch dog after dog after dog go out in the upland field and be real pointers and like good pointers whether it's the certified level the advanced level or the master level i just saw dog after dog go out there and just slam those points and be steady and do the stuff and and it was a real pleasure so kudos to the entire pointing lab community uh, for what they're doing and at the dog, how good the dogs are, the, you know, just the dogs are producing are, and then what people are learning and then practicing. It's amazing. It, it's, it, it looks really good. So I'm just, that's a really happy thing to see. Um, quick G update. I took her with me as our first big road trip. She was really good. Um, you know, for just having to stay on the trailer the entire weekend other than when she got off to air. We snuck out when it was all over and went back out in the master field where there were, it was a great master field, but there were still birds left. And and uh, I actually had the collar on her, the electric collar, even though she's not really fully into that stuff yet. Because she went like crazy out there <laughs> the scent and then the checkers she pointed and then, you know, they flushed up. And uh, anyway, it was fun to see her in that field and and uh but she did she got quite excited about it and i thank goodness i had some means to get her back because she'd still be probably about to iowa by now chasing some of those birds so she was a good traveler she really had a lot of fun we did you know just getting her ready for what her life's going to be and she did uh, she did real well at that even though she's young i she only got out when the big dogs got out you know i don't stop and air them every hour and a half or anything else she just had to be like one of the big traveling dogs and and at six months she can do that so it was a good weekend 
And she didn't stay in the hotel room with me. She stayed out in the trailer like everybody else, learning how to be a, a working dog. Um, so today's topic, now to get onto that, is going to be about troubleshooting. And it's not to tell everyone how to troubleshoot and this is what the answer is. Ugh, I, you know, whenever somebody does that for you, be very cautious. But I'd like to give people some ideas when they have some issues in their training on how to approach looking at it. And this is real important, how to approach looking at it. And I'll give you, like I always do an analogy. If you had a troubled uh, preteen, you had somebody that was 12 years old in, in the family and they were really exhibiting some worrisome things and some behaviors that you couldn't really understand. You know, they were hanging out with some people that you don't even know where they met them and, and getting into some things you really don't want them in. You don't, generally when you approach a, an, an issue or a problem with a, a person, you kind of have to take a step back. The problem isn't that they're going out after school or leaving school early and hanging out with some wrong people. That's a symptom of what the problem is, right? There's something else going on in their life that they are doing this. And so you have to have us take a step back and look at the bigger picture of everything when you go after a problem like this. And this is exactly the same way uh, with dogs. And I'll give an example of a couple that I've just run into recently. One was a dog I trained. So I really kind of knew what was going on, but what she, she's a little, got a, it's a girl with a little bit of attitude, <laughs> let's say, some do. Um, and so she was in the upland field with her owner. Uh, this dog is as good a pointer as there is. She's never not pointed ever. She's just really, really amazing. And so she was going into the more advanced stakes now. She's certified, I think, at five months. Not that that's important. The youth thing is really not the emphasis. But she just pointed well enough to do that then. And so she's going into the higher levels now. And so now this dog, because of she's been, um, you know, having to run blind, she's, you know, training for the master, has to run blinds, has to get in the water and do technical water stuff. You know, there's all these rules and all this stuff. And so she, out in the upland field, which is the independent place, she was just having a big time out there. And so when she would, the bird would be shot and she would go get it, she would bring it almost all the way back, but not quite. And she would just set it down, maybe pick it up, run around a little bit. She did that at, at five months too. So she was hearkening back to the fun she had in the very beginning. But she'd pick it up, set it down, when, you know, didn't pick it up, then maybe. And so this was a problem. And the, the owner was advised by someone a very respected person, that what they needed to do is go over there and ear pinch her when she did that. In other words, it was a force fetch issue and it needed to be addressed so that she would do what she was taught, which is pick something up when told and carry it to her, to the, to the owner. And uh, she came over and talked to me, the owner did, and I, and I, again, I knew the dog. If I didn't know the dog, I wouldn't have just jumped right in on that one without asking 10,000 questions. But I, I knew that it was not a force-fetch problem because I force-fetched the dog. And she was force-fetched. What, now let's take our step back. You know, so we have our, our pointing lab here hanging out with the bad crowd that doesn't bring the bird back. What, what was happening is over here in this independent area, the upland work, right, is where the dog makes a lot of the decisions. 
they're using the wind, they're gathering the data, they're, you know, deciding what they're finding and where to look. And it's, it's far more, even though they have to hunt with you, they're doing a lot of the driving. So it's a very independent place. So she loves that because she would rather make all the decisions herself than be told. There's one, two things going on. Two, she's going to go back when she was a puppy and having fun and there weren't a lot of rules. And the other thing is she's out there doing independent stuff and she would like to remain independent and do things her way and make the decisions. So what the problem really was right there was an obedience problem. So you could pinch her ear, run or pretty soon she's just going to run away from you, so you can't even do that. Um, so the problem wasn't that she was setting the bird down. That was the symptom. She was setting the bird down and doing it away from where she was supposed to return. That is a dog not doing what it is told. So when you say here and you call it to you, the, the dog is to come in and sit down and then you reach for the bird and take it. That is what was not happening. So the suggestion for her was without birds, without retrieving, without doing the pointy stuff, go out in the field and work on some drills, very specific drills on here with a little bit of enforcement pressure. Um, just, just not anything big and horrible, but set her down, call her apart way to you with, with a little pressure, put the pressure on here, set her. Sit her when she's not all the way to you. Sit her down, back up, call her again. So any of the enforcement pressure is on the word here, not on sit. There's no bird. There's nothing in her mouth. There's no dropping or picking up. There's none of that. So what's happening here, we were getting in this dog's head, right, On and creating a little bit more of a conditioned response to the word here. That way, when she goes back out in the field and the dog is coming back with a bird she can say here or blow her coming whistle both of which she in the drills enforced here with and now we have that association with holy cow I need to get over there right now so because she actually is force fetched and because she does know what the rules are she brings the bird all the way back and sits down and we never had to go after the mouth issue because if you have mouth issues then, and you go after the mouth issues by doing the mouth things, we tend to make the mouth issues much worse. So she didn't have a mouth issue, mouth issue. she had a, an obedience response, and most of the time it's that. If you ever look at, at, at hunt tests at the started levels and the junior levels, and you see either people that are new or dogs that are kind of new, and, and they come back, they're bringing the duck back, and they get 20 feet out, and then they start the you know, the parade, victory parade. Oh, look what I have. I'm not giving it to you. And there, and then, or they set it down out there and they do all this. <laughs> and everyone is talking force fetch. Well, you need a force fetch. You need to finish. You need to, and what the dog is not doing, regardless of what your force fetch conditioning is, is coming to you. That is a here problem. That is a basic obedience problem. And virtually all the time, it's that. You know, and if you're running one of those events, you need to have a dog that delivers the hand. So you need to have that part clear in their mind. So when they don't bring it to you, they're not coming to you. And it's far easier to solve those kind of problems without creating anxiety mouth problems. Because all you're doing is enforcing in training, not right there with the bird in their mouth. 
uh, their response to your command to come to me. So those are basic things. When you have bird issues, folks, I do want to say this. If you have bird issues, whether it's bird handling, um, you know, <clears throat> bird handling, whatever it is, whether it's if they bring it all the way, how they, if they're carrying it by two feathers, if they're chomping on it, whatever it is, if you're having bird handling problems, um, you don't go after the mouth because that's just like if you had a toothache and your, your tooth hurts and I'm constantly checking in on you and asking how, if it hurts more or less. It has a tooth. What's, is it this tooth? Right? You're, I, it's gonna, your tooth problem will be worse in your head. You, I'm just going to make it worse instead of, instead of when you have a tooth hurt, showing you pictures of your Hawaiian vacation, remember how great that was, and getting your mind on something else, and the tooth problem becomes less. So I don't know if that makes sense. But if you're having bird carrying management issues do, and because of the dog's mouth, do not go after the mouth thing. So this dog that I told you that I had trained that wasn't bringing the bird back, we stopped. Let's don't go after ear pinching and bird carrying and bird grabbing because now we're going to create some mouth problems that don't exist. Instead, we'll just address the problem that we see, and that is the dog is not returning. So many, many dog problems, not all, but many, many of your training problems is a forest and a trees kind of thing. So if you're sitting down there way inside of the forest, looking at the three trees in front of you, the three trees in front of you are what you're concerned with and what you're going to go after. And when you're troubleshooting dogs, to the maximum of your ability, you want to step away from those three trees and kind of get a look at the whole forest. Because if you have three trees that are all dying, and you're obsessed with these three trees that are dying, and, and you just have to do something about these three trees. If you took a step back and looked at the forest and saw that the whole forest is, it's not just these three trees, you probably would address the problem differently. Weird example here. But it's that way with dog problems. And mouth problems, I see people, wow, um, <clears throat> they wind up either creating the mouth problems or, <laughs> or taking a mouth problem and making it really bad. And there's all kinds of problems. You know, there's problems where, um, where you know, on blinds where dogs don't go or they only, you know, cast to only sit for three whistles and don't sit anymore on that kind of thing. There's all kinds of problems that when your dog has them, let's say your dog only sits for about three whistles on the blind and after that they just blow you off. Right? You don't have a, I have a only sit on three whistles. I need a, I only have three whistles, so I need to do this blind with as few whistles as possible. No, you need to go back to basic obedience. The dog is not sitting when you tell them. I personally had this problem this weekend. Um, your dog's not sitting when you tell them. That is a basic obedience problem. So you don't generally go after it on the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh whistle on your blind by just putting all kinds of pressure on them. But you go back to the fundamental responses on some basic obedience drills, get creative, come up with some things, get some ideas, go after the the distinct problem off off the playing field. You know, just like a, not an upland field that I want that lady using putting pressure on here. I don't not carrying birds or hunt birds. We don't want it. now we got ugly stuff going on. Let's let's enforce the here somewhere else, condition it into their thinking and then utilize it out here.
And the same thing with the, the stopping and all that. If, if you have a trouble on blinds, then go get the stopping response in real strongly, not on the blind, at least, and then go back to the blind and take a reading on how effective you have been. So that's another kind of problem. Uh, no going on blinds or popping on blinds. There's everybody has all kinds of, there's something that, that people did. The first thing when you got those kind of problems, and I'm not going to, I'm not reining in expertise on all this stuff. I'm just telling you how to approach this stuff. People have popping or no goes. Assuming your dog at one time did not do that, then you have done something to create that thought process in their mind. The first thing you have to do when you troubleshoot is take, put the responsibility back on the teacher and look at what you might have done. Go way back. Again, Get in. look at the forest, not this little tree, set of trees right here, and see what you might have done. And it might be displaced. It might be something you did somewhere else that created some association in their mind where now they start doing that. If you don't get that kind of thing worked out and you just go after this popping problem by what the, the local expert told you, you know, use pressure, do this, do that. And, and what caused that was not uh, anything right there on the blind and you start making this be an ugly place on the blind, you know, maybe it'll solve it and maybe it'll make it way worse. It's a lot better if you can, again, get out of the forest and up into looking at, or out of the trees and look at the whole forest and look at your whole program and all the things that you've done and where might you have initiated this particular problem. Let me give you another example of a problem that I feel was misinterpreted. Somebody came to me and they were, it was on blind retrieves and they were trying to get their dogs to do blind retrieves. Not the way that I would do it by fundamentals and outward, but they were getting their dog to go on back and stop and, and go to a place where it knew there were bumpers and they trained in their training field all the time. And then they went someplace else and tried to run blinds and the dog wouldn't run blinds. And they were just terribly, terribly confused. Um, about why, you know, why is this dog doing so well at home? And then I come here and they, they're not doing anything at all. So they thought they had a blind running at this location place, uh, a blind running problem at this location. And again, stepping back from it, if they had, and I kind of tried to work them through this. So you go out to the same place and you throw bumpers out there and you, you've taught this dog that there are bumpers out there in this location. I guess you could call that a pattern blind, really. Um, and so, yes, they go because they like to go and they know they're out there and they'll stop on a whistle for you and then they'll go again because this is a location-specific thing and they know exactly what's happening. So what was taught to this dog was a location-specific thing. You know, right over here, there's always going to be a bumper here or there. And so when I send you, you know it's there and you go and you'll humor me if I stop you. And then you'll go again. It, so it is a location to which they're being sent. They are not being conditioned to go on back. That's a conditioning pro, uh, process. That's the only way you get a dog to run a cold blind anywhere, anytime where you are. Because they understand when the hand goes down and somebody says back, I go. And then when they stop me, I stop. And when they cast me again, I go. 
That is a full conditioning program. And it, 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 it begins location specific so that they do know and they do trust and there has to be some conditioning stuff in there. It starts with a double T or whatever you do that. And then you have to start bumbling through non-specific location and working cold blinds with the tools of conditioning that they know even no matter what, they've got to go on back. So the problem wasn't that the dog wouldn't run blinds at this other place. The problem was they had not conditioned this dog to understand going, stopping, and going again. And so it was a training deficit, not a dog deficit. And the majority of the time, um, that's exactly what it is. That happens in the upland field many, many times. You know, if you hunt, and I'll just use, so I've been on the East Coast, the Midwest, and out here uh, running tests, and the cover and things is extremely different <laughs> everywhere. And we don't have a lot of cover. We are going to shortly, but we don't have a lot of cover, so we have some scraggly stuff, very easy to smell the birds. And the further east you go, the thicker and deeper and, and, and stuff it is. So when you're developing, especially on your young dogs, when you're developing the, the upland, the search and the point and all of that, and you do it in one set of conditions, then those dogs get very good at that one set of conditions. So many times, I've had this myself, train out here in the Rocky Mountains, go way back east where it's real thick, and my dogs, they know there's a bird somewhere, but they're not exact, they can't, they don't just lock up and point because there is not the convincing scent that they've been trained on. And then, you know, those guys, you, you all that have the thick green stuff come out here and it's like, geez, you can smell the, the bird from 120 yards away. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you had a train in Wyoming and you could smell it a quarter mile away. Um, so there's another thing where you don't really have a problem it's just that your dog is very uh, location specific to what you've taught them. And so that's what you've got. So it's not like this dog has a better nose and this one doesn't. It's if you again step back from that and look what you've taught them with all of that or the way that you plant birds. If you plant birds that always stick, you dizzy them and stuff them in a hole, then your dog is going to learn that they can get as close as they like where if you plant them in such a way that if they do get close, um, then the bird might be pushed away, then you're teaching them something else. So this is more about the person training the dog and how they're approaching it than it is the adequacy or inadequacy of the dog. And so it's very helpful to take a step back and look at what you're doing. That's hard to do. You know, if you just have your dog or a couple dogs or you have a little training group and you guys always go down to Fred's farm and do a lot of your upland work over there and then you go out to the wildlife area to do your water work. And so you're just all very much uh, engrossed in that and tied up in that. And that's the places that you've got to train and you've got to do it. You're just very much looking at the few trees that are in front of you. So sometimes some things happen because of the ultra consistency of what you're doing in the same kind of places. You can actually create uh, some problems with that. At least be aware that if you do the same thing over and over again, then the dog learns that one thing over and over again. And when you take them into something different, they might respond in a way that doesn't make sense to you because you taught them such a uh, specific thing. 
training uh, like that. Now, I one more thing I want to talk about. There's so many problems. I just want to get people to look at them maybe sometimes a little more uh, analytically, less personally, and take a little bit more of the responsibility. Mouth problems is something that can, um, you know, just ruin stuff for people. And people, most mouth problems are created, not all. There are lines of dogs who, who just like with people, there are lines of dogs who exhibit their anxiety uh, through their mouth. And I've said many times on these, on a number of these podcasts, the dog can't tell you, hey, man, I am just really stressed over this. I'm confused. I don't understand or I don't like it. They can't tell you that. When they have whatever, you know, and some dogs just have anxiety just being alive, like people. They just have it. There are propensities for that, just like there are with people. So whatever kind of dog you have, it realize that wherever the source of their anxiety and how easily and readily it comes to the surface, it generally comes out several ways. One, it comes out through their digestive tract. So people spend gazillions of dollars looking for the right food when actually what it is is their anxiety goes into their digestive system and so whenever they're having a, a tough day or a higher level of anxiety, you know, they tend to get runny stools and then everybody's worried and you take them to the vet. And that's one of the places where anxiety manifests. It can uh, manifest in noise. You know, sometimes dogs, they just make noise, whether it's the whining and the crying and the, uh, the barking, whatever it is. A lot of times anxiety comes out with noise when you don't know why they're making noise. <clears throat> or they're just excessive noise given a situation. That's another place. Uh, a place where uh, we retriever people see it frequently is in their mouth. That's one of the places that they express some of their inner stuff externally. And so it can be something that's already there. Again, I've trained lines of dogs where I, when I start force fetching them, I already know. I need to approach this very carefully because if, if there is, and, and hear this folks who, who, uh, this is important. Very often the mouth anxiety things come from misunderstood pressure. Uh, I would say a significant portion of the time that you have a mouth issue, it initiated from misunderstood pressure. Pressure either being, you know, just you being tough on your force fetch, using electricity, using the leash, using healing sticks. When there is pressure that is not understood, then the dog has no other way to release that energy than by chomping down on the mouth. They just, they have nothing else to do because if they are confined, if you're doing a force fetch or you're doing basic obedience, so they can't just run away and get away from it and things are happening to them that they can't control, that they can't make go away by responding and doing what you're asking. There's no other place for that to go than either the noise, the digestive tract or the mouth. And so if you do that with some repetitiveness, if you do it over and over, the misunderstood and the pressure, then you kind of build in this automatic response on the mouth, whether it's 
clamping down, whether it's whatever, however it manifests, then you are creating that so that anytime they get a little bit amped up, that's one of the first things you see are these mouth problems. And then you get some expert telling you to use a bunch of pressure to get rid of it. And there, I'm sure there are certain situations where that is appropriate. And I know there are situations where that is not appropriate. So a lot of mouth problems people have, you know, you want to blame the dog. And, and then what's one of the things they do? You get one of those bumpers or something and you put spikes or uh, uh, like barbed wire. I've so many things I've seen like that where if they bite down, it's going to hurt. I, I, I And there's somebody listening to this that did it and it worked. And again, more power to you. I can't imagine using a misunderstood pressure anxiety issue and using pain and, and all of that to try and stop it. So I figure a smart dog would learn, I'm not going to bite down on that thing because I will poke through my mouth. But when I don't have that in my mouth, I am right back to that autonomic response of anxiety in my mouth. So I have never agreed with those things. When you see the mouth problem, just a little bit of mouth you know, chomping or not letting go of stuff. When you start to see that, that is the time for you to respond. Not just keep going and live with it until it gets really, really built in there. And then when they you introduce some new high pressure thing, it's all going to come out in the mouth again. And you get, you know, you get thrown out when they break bones. Um, or they don't let the bird go. So that stuff comes, it doesn't have to be on the force fetch that you created it. Often it is. It could be somewhere else entirely different. It's somewhere in that dog, in their interactions with you, where there was pressure that they did not want, either understand, or they did not have the ability to control and make it stop by responding. And they had no choice. And they can't do anything else, so it just comes out in the one thing that can move, and that's their mouth. So be very, very cautious. Um, pay a lot of attention to um, the handling of bumpers and birds in the mouth. And when the dog, you know, begins to show repetitively some negative things like holding on too hard or biting down or something like that, that's the time for you to take a step back and go, okay, where, where is this starting? It, it, it might not be, it might not be your force fetch at all. It might be your collar conditioning. It might be the double T stuff or the swim by that you're doing. It might be some of the upland field stuff. You know, if you're putting electrical pressure on a dog in the upland field where they can't win and you're ruining all kinds of stuff, that can come right over on the bird handling on your ducks and in the mouth. Just understand why the dog is doing it and some of the things that you might be able to do to uh, one, not continue to create that kind of a problem. First, stop the source of the problem. And second, you're going to have to change their thinking. You're going to have to, their automatic response is, this is happening and all the anxiety comes down in those jaw muscles. So you can't, I don't know that you can beat that out of them. I think what you have to do is replace it with another kind of a thought. And depending on your dog, you know, it, who knows? It could be a happy bumper. It could be a bacon bit. It's got to be something where you change their thinking when it is a misunderstood pressure problem that you unintentionally created. So I offer that to folks, at least a way, you guys, to look at this 
where you don't just pound on them harder to make them do stuff, where you understand the, the I would say humanity, but the caninity of these animals when they, you know, they are trying, they are struggling, they are trying to learn this stuff. They have emotions about it and uh, psychology about it. And when they start showing you negative stuff, they're telling you something. And you, you want to step back and look at it and look at it on a big picture basis, not down in the trees basis and help them get past that. And, you know, a lot of times it's just, you've been too easy on them and you're being, you know, that they don't come back to you. They're not, it's not that they're not force fed straight. It's just that they don't think they have to come when you call them. Okay. That's basic obedience. That's fixable. Don't fix it with birds in their mouth or out in the, in the working field, fix it in the fundamental areas and then go enjoy the benefits of that. And when you got that mouth thing, misunderstood pressure dog could have a real propensity for it, which means you have to be even more careful um, and more aware of what this is and understand the anxiety and work on changing the way the dog is thinking about this stuff. And you don't do it overnight because you didn't create it overnight. And when you've done it repetitively and they've shown you repetitively that they're doing this, now we got a habit, kind of a built-in response. And it's going to take a while to replace that with something else that's better for the both of you. So that's uh, almost 40 minutes. I didn't mean it to go that long, but that's to this offering uh, on the troubleshooting. And I know about it because I do it all the time. I'm always <laughs> trying, going, oh gosh, I need to do that a little bit differently. With me and my dog that doesn't stop out on the last 25% of the blind, I've got to go you know, look at the things that I've done that might have created that and not attack the dog but go back and rebuild something so that we have it going a little bit better there. So it's snowing outside today, May 11th, and we have snow and lots of green grass. So it's spring in Colorado. I hope everybody is staying healthy. Um, life's starting to get a little bit more normal now. So yay for all of us on that. Do good dog work. Um, looking forward to getting the audio book out for those who want to have me read it to you. I'd be happy to do that. And uh, G and I will be back soon.